morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us as we're uh, finalizing this series called Hustle and Flow. And we've been studying the book of James over the last uh, nine weeks, just, just learning some practical wisdom from, from God's Word. Before we kind of dive in today, I, I have two things I want to give you. Everybody say next week. Next week, we're beginning a brand new series called The Church God Sees, and uh, I'm excited about this series. I think it's going to be an incredible, incredible opportunity for us as a church to to learn about some things that I think that that God wants to have uh, dwelling within every single one of us, because I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're the church. Uh, this is a, a church building. Uh, technically, it's a movie theater, but it's a, <laughs> it's a church building. Uh, but we're the church, and we bring the church everywhere with us. And so God sees us doing some things. And so we're going to talk about that. And next weekend uh, at 4 p.m., we have the groundbreaking for our Parkland campus uh, for our first permanent facility. And so we'd love to invite you out to that. Man, yeah, let's give it up for that. It's going to be... It's going to be awesome uh, at 4 o'clock. Man, we're going to have bounce houses and cotton candy and popcorn and all kinds of things going on. And we'd love for you just to make kind of next Sunday just a church day. Come to church, whatever service you go to. Uh, go grab some lunch and then come out to the property. We're going to celebrate. We're just going to have some fun as a church family, both campuses coming together, seeing what God is doing. And so we're excited about that. And and we always get this question, like, what does that mean for Pompano? Does that mean Pompano is going to be gone? That doesn't mean that at all. In fact, you're going to continue to be here. We're going to continue to build this campus. And we believe, we go back to our mission, and we want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church. Well, it's not easy for people to go to church in Pompano in Parkland, is it? So we want to make it easy for people in Pompano, Lighthouse Point, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Deerfield Beach to go to church in a community that's right around them. And so we, we want to make sure that we do that. And so this will continue to happen. Anyways, we've been in this series called Hustle and Flow over the last couple of weeks. And we've been talking uh, uh, all throughout the book of James. And, and the book of James is really this practical wisdom for everyday living. And it, it really dives into this idea of our words and our actions, that they should be in correlation with one another, that our words and our actions should be in alignment. And so over the last nine weeks, we've just been going verse by verse, just learning about some practical things. And today, we're concluding this series, taking it, taking it down. Uh, and, and so I, I really thought we were going to talk about prayer today, because the end of the book of James has some incredible passages and principles on prayer but as I was studying this week, God kind of led me in a different direction. And so we're going to be talking about uh, a, a subject that's a little bit different uh, that probably none of us like, specifically me. I, I don't like it at all. So that's probably why we need to talk about it. And so James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, it says, Be patient, uh, which is not a word that I'm really excited about. Anybody else get excited about patience? None of us, right? Nobody's like, yes, I just want to be more. I want more opportunities to be patient in my life. Like nobody's, nobody's uh, like, God, please help me to have opportunities where I can just sit and wait for things to happen. Like nobody really wants that. And 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 I grew up in a generation that that we're not good at patience. We grew up on fast food and microwaves, so we expect things like now, like right this moment. In fact. Patience has been a huge struggle of mine. I'll, I'll kind of give you some insight into my life. I'm 38 years old, uh, and I have been driving for 22 years. So I got my license at 16. In my 22 years, uh, I've gotten pulled over 
by the cops somewhere between 50 and 70 times. And that is not an exaggeration. I mean, my wife will tell you I've gotten pulled over by cops pulling boats. I mean, I don't even know how you do that, but I've accomplished it. And it's not because like I'm this, this terrible driver it's be, or it's not because I have this need for speed. It's because I'm impatient. Like when I get in my car, I don't like hanging out in my car. The reason I'm in my car is to get from A to B. And the goal is to get to B as fast as possible getting away from A. And so I am impatient in my car, so therefore I speed, and that has gotten me in a lot of trouble. And I'm going to guess for a lot of us, we're very similar, maybe not being pulled over 50 to 70 times. But let me just say, I haven't gotten tickets 50 to 70 times uh, because I would not have a driver's license anymore. Uh, but but I, I have a struggle with patience in life. And we don't talk about this subject a lot because... Honestly, I, I don't like it, and nobody really likes it. But, you know, one of the things we love to do at Coastal is we love to dive into the difficult subjects, and this is one of those difficult subjects in life. How do we have patience? Because this verse goes, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. I'm like, James, are you freaking kidding me? So you're telling me I've got to be patient for basically the rest of my life? What's up with that? Like, anybody else just want to punch James in the face? Like, put him in an MMA ring and just knock the snot out of him. Like, that doesn't excite me. But we've got to learn how to have patience. Now, one of the things that we know, if you've been around here for any length of time, and if you're a guest, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us for one of our services. But uh, one of the things we know is the Bible was not written in English. And so our translation is not exactly perfectly accurate all the time. And typically behind every word, there are some other words, some other meaning behind those. And, and patience is one of those words that has a deeper meaning. See, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And when they translated it into English, King James was not the only translation. It was like not the ultimate translation. So therefore, if you're King James only, stop it, okay? Uh, you're not right. So if we want to be right, we need to go back to the Greek. We need to go back to the Hebrew. And so if you look up that word patience, the definition for patience, according to the Greek, is to be of a long spirit. And to not lose heart. So patience is, when he says be patient, he's saying, hey, listen, be of a long spirit and don't lose heart in life. And, and I don't like the definition of either one of those because what it's saying is, is we've got to have the long view in mind. And while we're having the long view in mind, we've got to have the gumption to be able to endure for the long haul. And that's important for us to realize that there is a process to patience. Now, we need to know why we need to have patience. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 gives us a good reason. It says, we don't want you to become lazy. Like, the goal for all of us is, is that we would not be lazy. He says, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, I love the first part of this verse because it's talking about uh, really, how do you get the promises of God that he has for our lives? And so, so I read that and go, oh man, I got to have faith. And I get excited because faith comes really easy to me. If you were to go to our Discover class and you were to go through that, you would realize that there is a spiritual gift test that we give you in that. And I would encourage you to go to that. But in that spiritual gift test, my number one is the gift of faith. And so faith comes really easy to me. Believing things that, that God puts in my heart are really easy for me to come by. And therefore, because I believe that, I've seen a lot of incredible things 
come to fruition into my life. The problem with that is, is that when God gives me those things, when I pray for those things, I expect them to happen now. Anybody else like that? Like, hey, God, I believe you and I prayed. Why isn't it here? Because I'm not very good at the second half, which is patience. And here's what happens for most of us is God births a dream in our heart. He, he births some sort of passion within us, gives us a vision for our future. And, and over time, what starts to happen is faith starts to well up within us for us to believe that that is actually a possibility. And then what we need is we need the patience to see that process come to fruition. The problem is, is a lot of us in the process of patience give up the hope, and that's where we get struggle, and that's where we fail, and that's where we wrestle, and we don't end up seeing the promises that God gave us come to life in our life. And so James here, he says, man, I want to give you some lessons in patience. And so James is going to give us three lessons in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And the first one starts here in verse 7. It says, see how the farmer waits for the Lord to yield his valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord is coming near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So this group of scriptures right here speaks directly about the farmer. And the farmer has a lesson to teach every single one of us. And the farmer's lesson is this. Patience is waiting. That's the farmer's lessons that he wants to give us. And patience, by definition is waiting. If we aren't waiting for something, then you have no ability to exercise patience in your life because the definition of patience is waiting. Remember, the, the, the true definition is to be of a long spirit. The concept implies or infers that there is a season of waiting that is involved before the harvest comes. Now, the problem for all of us is, is, is we see God's promises for our lives, and we believe God's promises for our lives, uh, but we got to combine our faith with patience, and typically, that's where the gap exists. The gap between God's promises and God's fruition is that season of patience. That's why in verse 7, he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. There's a lot of waiting involved in that verse. There's a lot of patience that's implied in that verse. And when we see the word wait, we automatically think, well, that just means I just stand here. And I'm just like in a doctor's office waiting for him to or her to call my name. But what the word wait actually means is it means living in expectation for. See, a farmer isn't hoping that he's going to have a harvest. A farmer isn't wishing that he has a pharmacist. He isn't waiting in wishful thinking. He's waiting with this understanding and this expectation that a harvest is going to happen. See, the principle the farmer is trying to give us is, is the farmer is not wondering if there's going to be a harvest, but wondering when there's going to be a harvest. It's not a matter of, I hope this happens or I wish this happens. He is going, man, I know that this is going to happen. And the reason that the farmer knows that is because, because this passage is talking about the fact that there are seasons in life. And this passage talks about there are seasons of rain, which are spring and autumn, which also means that there's seasons of drought, there's seasons of harvest that we have got to understand 
in our life. And so he says, man, there's two times a year that there are seasons of rain, which means that there's two times a year that there are seasons of harvest, which you'll start to see the promises of God to come out. And the reason he can be confident in that season coming is because he's done the preparation that's required for the harvest to come. See, he knows a rainy season is going to come, but in order for the rain to, to fall on something that's going to grow, that means he's got to go out into the fields as a farmer and break up those fields, till up those fields, prepare those beds, plant those seeds, because when he's done all the preparation, when the rain comes, it will guarantee him a harvest in life. The problem for a lot of us is as we're not getting involved in the preparation season, and we're wondering why the rain is coming, there is no harvest in our life. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all are responding. I'm just letting y'all know that right now. Y'all, y'all better get some Jesus in your life right now. So the, the lesson the farmer's trying to teach us is, is man, we got to have this confident expectation that the promise that God gave us is going to come to pass. And it's not, I wonder if it's going to come or I hope it's going to come, but it's this confident belief that it is going to come. But here's the problem for so many of us. Because we haven't been doing the right things in the right season we are wondering, I wonder if this is going to happen. I wonder what's going to go. And what that tells me is, is that we haven't been preparing the way we should be. And then harvest has come, and we're like, well, why didn't, why didn't I get anything? Because you were just living with wishful thinking. And so what you do is you go, man, I wish I could be the head of that company. Or I wish I could have a great marriage. Or I wish my my kids would, would love God and, and be obedient. But you're not doing in the, anything in the seasons of preparation to see that harvest come forth in your life. And what happens is because our faith and our patience are in a, this position of wondering, we're left going, God, what's up? That's why he says in verse 8, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, that word stand firm doesn't mean to just sit around. doesn't mean to just sit on your derriere and just wonder about it. What that word stand firm means is it literally means anticipating, focus on a specific direction. It's interesting that he says, hey, you too. This isn't just a principle for the farmer, but this is a principle for your life. Just like the farmer is anticipating something extremely specific in life, you should be anticipating a specific outcome. And you got to, in that outcome, you got to focus on the right things. See, what we need to learn, the principle that we need to learn is that patience isn't inactivity, but it's focusing our lives on the right activity. See, it isn't us just sitting back and doing nothing and saying, man, I'm waiting on God and I'm waiting for his promises just to spring up in my life. It's saying, man, no, in the right season, you're doing the right things at the right time so that when the seasons change to a rainy season, that, that those things can start to spring up in your life and eventually you're going to harvest them. And we have to do the right things in the right seasons in order to experience the harvest. And some of us, we've got a promise from God, and we're going, God, I want this promise to come, but there's inactivity in our life. 
And so you go, you've got this promise of, man, I'm going to have a great marriage, but you're not doing anything. You're not getting involved in connect groups that are going to enhance your marriage. You're not dating your spouse. You're not reading books to grow in your relationship. And you're just hoping, sitting back, waiting for the day that your spouse is going to bust through the front door and go, you know what? I've realized where all of our problems stem from. They all come from me. The reason we've been arguing is because I've been selfish in the relationship. And I've realized through our arguments that, that you're better at this than I am. And so I'm just going to submit to you and we're going to do it all your way. In fact, why don't we just go to the bedroom and have sex right now? If you're waiting for that, you're smoking crack. It's just never going to happen. Why? Because that's wishful thinking. You might have this dream of raising respectful children. And let me just tell you something. Parents, your kids aren't going to come home from school one day and go, you know what, father, mother, I've realized my wicked and rebellious ways. I've realized that I have been extremely disobedient to you. And I was reading my Bible and I realized that if I want to have a long and prosperous life, that I should honor you. And so from here on out, I'm never going to give you a back talk. I'm going to do things exactly when you say them, how you say them. And I'm going to do it with a joyful attitude because I want to show you the respect that you deserve. Every parent's like, man, where's that kid at? Yeah. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Some of you are waiting for the CEO of a Fortune 500 company to call you up, and they're like, hey, Tommy, you there? Yeah, I'm here. You still living on your mom's couch? Yep, I'm still living on my mom's couch. Hey, we've been thinking, we think you should come run our company. Can we give you a seven-figure income? Well, I, you know, I'm a little busy right now eating, eating some cheese and biscuits, but okay. None of those scenarios happen. Why? Because patience isn't inactivity. God may have birthed a dream in your heart for great kids. God may have birthed uh, you to run some incredible company. God may have birthed for you to have an incredible marriage. But none of those things happen with you sitting on the sideline of life just waiting. That's not how it works. See... All those things work because you get to work. And if you're not doing the right things in the right season, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be confident with this expectation like the farmer is that a harvest is coming because you've done the right things. See, what I know is that, is that this doesn't always come easy. See, in 2002, God gave me a dream for a church. He said, TJ, man, you're going to plant a church. And sort of give me visions of what that would look like and how it would feel and people that would be involved. And you know what? It took till 2009 for that dream to become a reality when Shayla and I packed up everything we owned and left everyone we knew to move to South Florida in June of 2009, knowing no one to start a church called Coastal Community Church. And we could have just sat down and go, okay, God, build your church. But we didn't. We got to work. And we started building a team of 18 to 22-year-olds because they're the only people that would listen to us. We built up about 35 people, and we launched our first service, and we had hundreds of people show up. And then, then we had a whole bunch of people stop showing up. 
And it got difficult and it got hard and people were like, man, you should just give up. But we just kept working because we had a, a promise from God and we kept working. And over the years, it started to grow. And then pretty soon we said, man, we want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church. We're going to launch Pompano. And we've seen people come to Christ here. And now we're building a building in Parkland. And, and let me tell you something. Those are all awesome things. And I'm excited about those things, but that isn't anywhere near close to what the vision that God gave me. God gave me a vision that we're going to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, so they can know, and so they can follow Jesus. And I'm going to keep working with everything I've got until I see that promise fulfilled in my life. I'm not going to sit around and wait on it. I'm going to do the work waiting on the promise with patience, through faith, knowing that Jesus is going to show up. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, when I read this, it feels like James kind of switched subjects, and this is out of place. But really, it's not out of place. Because the season that the farmer is in is, is this season of anticipating and expecting a harvest. And so, therefore, his focus is on the harvest. He is focused on that one thing. And here's what happens to a lot of us. Instead of focusing on the harvest, we start focusing on people. And people will jack you up. People will shipwreck you every single time from the promise of God in your life. And here's the principle he's trying to get to us. When you don't focus on the right things, you start to blame people for everything. See, the farmer, what he's got, he's got his attention and his focus on the harvest. So he doesn't, it doesn't matter what's going on around him. It doesn't matter what's, what's happening with this farm over there or that farm over here or this friendship here. Because he's focused on his promise. And the, pro, the problem that we have is that God has birthed a dream in our hearts. He's given us a promise. But when that promise doesn't happen in the time frame that we like it to, what we end up doing is we start looking around at other people and seeing the promises that are happening in their life, and we get frustrated, and we start blaming them for our problems, for our lack of that promise coming to place. And the reason we do that is because we live in a society where we don't take responsibility for our own lives. Well, it's not happening in the time frame that I want it, so it must be somebody else's fault. It must be Shayla's fault. It must be Kyle's fault. It must be Jim's fault. It must be John's fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. And we talked about this a lot in the first week. We talked about the trials that we're facing. And a lot of times, the trials that we're facing and the difficult moments that we're facing aren't setbacks, but they're setups to propel us in the destiny that God has for us. We just taken our eye off of the prize. And Joseph was a great example of this, of where he didn't blame people, he just took responsibility in his life. In fact, Joseph is a lot like many of us. He had a dream that God birthed in his heart. His dream was that he was going to be this ruler over people. In fact, his dream was so vivid that he saw his brothers bowing down to him. And so he's a young man when he got this dream. And so what young men do is they, they tell people they shouldn't tell about their dream. So he told his brothers about his dream. And they got upset at him. In fact, they hated him after that. They ended up beating him up, throwing him into, the, into a well and selling him into slavery. Talk about a bad day. And so Joseph is taken off into a foreign land, and he is purchased by a guy named Potiphar, who puts him as a slave in his house. Now, now if this was 20, 
17, what would have happened is, is Joseph would have rolled into his house and said, you know what, God gave me a dream, but, but my brothers, they stole that dream from me. You know, it's their fault that I'm living this life here today, and I'm never going to see that dream come to pass because of what they did, and I had a dad who didn't love me enough to protect me from them, and all of these, blah, 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 blah. But that's not what Joseph did. That's what we would do, but that's not what Joseph did. Joseph, what he did when he got in that house, he went to work. And he worked really hard, and he kept his eye on the prize of God had given me this dream, and he kept that at, at the forefront of his mind, and he did what was put in front of him. And over time, he started to rise to prominence in Potiphar's house. In fact, he gets to the second in command. And as he rose to prominence, all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife takes notice of him and goes, man, he looks good, and she tries to coerce him into his bed, and because he has this, this vision, he has this dream, he has this promise from God, he doesn't want to do anything to distract him from that promise, and so instead of sleeping with her, which would have been the easy thing to do, he runs away from it and ends up getting blamed for trying to rape her, because she's a little upset that he didn't take his overture, or her overtures at him. And so he gets thrown in jail. And if this was 2017, he would have gathered every inmate who would have been like, man, I'm innocent, man. You don't understand. My life is over because of what they did to me. My brothers, my dad, now Potiphar's wife. And he would have blamed everybody else. But that's not what he did. He took responsibility. He started working within that jail. He started rising to prominence to the point where he became the second in command of the jail, where he had oversight over all the other prisoners. And eventually he gets before Pharaoh and interprets dreams and Pharaoh sees the, the potential within this young man and, and appoints him to be second in command over all of Egypt because he's able to interpret this dream and of seven years of harvest and seven years of famine. And so he collects all these things and pretty soon people, all nations are coming there and you know what they're doing? They're worshiping Joseph because he's in control of all the things. And before long, the very people that he told will bow before him. His brothers come in and bow before him. Why? Because he got to work. And he didn't blame people, but he took responsibility and kept his focus on the prize. In Genesis 50, 20, it says, you intended to harm me, saying this to his brothers. And let me just tell you this. There are going to be people who will try to stop you, who will try to hurt you, who will try to get you off course from the vision that God has for your life. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. We've got to keep from blaming and getting overwhelmed from other people. And, and listen, other people are going to walk out of your life. It's inevitable. It's inevitable that that kind of thing is going to happen. Just because you suffer a setback does not mean that God is done with you. Because setbacks are setups. Almost all the time. What you find is a wall is just an obstacle to build your faith and to grow your trust in God. And, and, and so it's okay because God's got something better for it. Listen, every time somebody walks out of my life, somebody better walks in. Some of y'all need to recognize that today. Maybe you need to get some new people in your life. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have the opportunity for you to do that through connect groups. Get some new people in your life. Maybe you need some new associates in your life. And so, so stay focused on faith and impatience, doing what you're supposed to do in the right seasons. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example, patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Second lesson, the prophet's lesson. 
patience feels like suffering. Aren't you glad you came to church, man? Patience and suffering. This is a good message. Get you encouraged here today. The second half of the definition of patience is to not lose heart. Why would we need to not lose heart? Because patience is hard. Patience is frustrating. Patience, a lot of times, is painful. Patience will bring you to the end of you and force you to find some more of you. And it will test every ounce of who you are. And the prophets are a great example. And, and, and we're going to look at one of those prophets today. His name is Elijah. He's mentioned further down in verse 5. And, and Elijah was a prophet of God during the time of King Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel were leading Israel, and they were wicked in the Lord's sight. And so God gave Elijah a, 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 a vision for what was going to happen. And uh, he said, man, I'm going to send you to them. You're going to tell them something, and, and then they're going to turn around, and there's going to be revival that's going to happen. And so this is what he tells uh, King Ahab in 1 Kings 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And so he tells, he tells Ahab this, fully expecting Ahab to turn around and repent right away and go, man, we're going to serve your God. We, we know that that's the God of, of all gods, man. We're going to turn from our wicked ways. But that isn't what happens. In fact, Ahab gets very, very angry with Elijah. And so the promise that Elijah said that there would be no rain ends up going from not a day to a week to a month to a year, but for three and a half years, there's no rain. That's what I would call a drought. And so this makes Ahab so angry that he starts chasing and looking for Elijah all over Israel to try to kill him. And he sends his entire army looking for them. And here's what happens when you take a stand for what's right you got to understand that you're going to end up being blamed for what is wrong. What the wrong thing that they see is happening in the world, you're going to get end up being blamed for. And that's exactly what happens to Elijah, is he ends up being blamed for the, the thing that's not happening, which is rain. But he's standing on the promise that God said he's going to bring revival. And so he's waiting for revival to happen in the people. He's waiting for the people to turn their hearts from... Uh, worshiping Baal and other gods to worshiping God. And so he's on the run for three and a half years and he's suffering this entire time because he's wondering every single day, am I going to live another day? Is this going to be the day that they find me? Is this going to be the day that I go before the king and I'm murdered? What is going to happen to my life? And finally, it comes to a conclusion on Mount Gilead. There's this showdown between the prophets of Baal and, and all of Jezebel's people and, and Elijah. And uh, basically, it's showing off who has power and who can control the rain? And the, the prophets of Baal do everything they can to have fire and rain come down. Nothing happens. Elijah prays. God raises down fire from heaven and rain as well. Uh, and at that moment, there's this incredible revival in Israel. The promise of God came. And we love to focus on the promise of God coming. But what we forget about is the three and a half years of suffering. We forget about all the pain that was in between the, the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And what he's trying to teach us right here is that if you're not ready to suffer for God, you're probably not ready to be used by God. If you're not ready to suffer some for God, 
then you're probably not ready to be used by God because nothing God is going to call you or me to do is going to be easy in this life. There's going to be some difficulties in that. And patience, by definition, means that you and I, we've got to not lose heart. And if we don't lose heart, we'll reap a harvest in due season. And the reason so many of us give up in life is because we get discouraged in that moment, because the suffering becomes greater than we thought it would ever be. And we think, man, I just can't put up with this anymore. This is too painful. I'm tired of people blaming me. I'm tired of being the fault of all this world. I'm tired of enduring this hardship. And, and, and man, it would just be an easy out for me if I just give this up right now. And we forget that patience, by definition, is waiting. And in the midst of that waiting, it feels like suffering. But there's something so much better right on the other side. And verse 11 kind of throws us into that. It says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. So the farmer teaches us about waiting. The prophet teaches us about suffering. And Job's lesson, it's the best lesson. Now, if you don't know much about Job, uh, Job is the oldest historical book in the Bible uh, from a writing perspective. And Job was an extremely, extremely successful individual. He owned very, very prosperous businesses. He had lots of servants. He had lots of land. He had a great family life. Like, his life was going well. And in the book of Job, in the very beginning, what you see in the book of Job is that uh, angels come before God to give reports of what's happening, and along with them comes Satan. Now, you might not realize this or not, but Satan is a fallen angel, and, uh, and, and what he would do is he would come before God, and God would ask him this question, Satan, what have you been doing? And he says, I've been roaming to and from the earth looking for people. And so basically what that tells us is, is that Satan is a finite being. He's not infinite. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He doesn't have, he doesn't know your thoughts. He doesn't know your dreams. He doesn't know any of those things. So what he's doing is he's looking at your life, trying to see chinks in the armor, trying to see opportunities where he can get in and create some, th- some deception, create some hardship, create some hard times in your life. And so the Bible actually tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So what he's doing is he's looking, and he's coming before God, and he's saying, did you see what they did? Now, here's the good news for us that are following Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, it says he's actually up at the right hand of the Father. And so right now in heaven, every time Satan comes before God and says, do you see what so-and-so did? Jesus goes, whoa, 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 hold on. He's going to be acting as a lawyer on our behalf. And he says, listen, God, you need to understand that I died 2,000 years ago on a cross, and when I rose again, that my blood covered all that sin, all that shame. And so I know what they went through, but they're forgiven. They're off the hook right there. And that's good news to all of us who are know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Somebody should get more excited than that. I'm just telling you that right now. But here's the deal. Jesus hadn't done that at this time. And so Satan is going to go into a spiel of like, hey, here's this and this. And before he can do that, God basically goes, hey, man, have you seen my boy Job? Man, Job loves me. Job is passionate about me. Man, like Job is following me with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Man, he has got it going on, Satan. And Satan goes, well, of course he does, man. You've richly blessed him. You've given him land and and things and a great family. Why wouldn't he worship you? Man, you took those things away. 
I, I guarantee you wouldn't. He goes, oh, yeah? He goes, I'll let you test Job. Here's the deal. But you can't, you can't touch him. You can touch any of his stuff, but you can't touch him. And so Satan goes away. And it says hurricanes came through and storms came through and destroyed his businesses and wiped out his family to the point where he was destitute. And you would think in that moment of, of, of being destitute that, that his response would be not great. But what the Bible tells us is that Job worshipped God. In the midst of his suffering, he still worshipped God. Satan comes back before God and says, God goes, do you see Job? Do you see what Job did? Job worshiped me because he loves me. He's, he's, he, I, I, I'm his God, and he, he's my boy. And Satan goes, well, of course he did, but, but if you took away his health, I guarantee he wouldn't worship you. And he goes, oh, yeah? He goes, yeah. And he goes, well, listen, you can, you can, you can hurt him, but you can't take his life. And so Satan comes back down to earth and inflicts all kinds of sores and things on his life. In fact, it says that Job was in so much pain that he took broken pieces of pottery and was scraping his skin just to get relief from the pain that he was experiencing. And as he's in this moment, his friends start coming around him and start questioning him and his motivation. And at one point, his wife comes to him and goes, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And see, here's the, here's the thing you need to understand. The enemy's goal is to always get you and I to question the character and the integrity of God. That's his goal. You can look at his MO throughout all the time. You go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. What did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say? He's questioning God's motivation and God's integrity and God's character, right? That's what he's questioning right there. And so that's what, anytime he can start to put some doubt into our minds about the character and the integrity of what God says, he knows that he can create division and all of a sudden we'll start to turn on God. And Job wrestles with this until he gets to this point in verse 42 of Job. And it says this, when Job prayed for his friends, when all of a sudden he got his mind off of himself, he started praying for the people around him that were causing him to question. It says, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. And let me just say this, whatever it is you're walking through today, whatever suffering you're experiencing, whatever pain you're uh, being afflicted with, man, God's blessing is so much greater than you can even imagine in this season. It says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. And here's a lesson. Job's lesson is this, patience brings about God's blessing in our lives. Here's what it teaches. If you can wait and you can make it through, it's what actually brings the blessing of God into each and every one of our lives. There's no way for us to experience the promise without this faith that's going to well up inside of us. And in that faith, having patience to wait in that season and endure the suffering that is required. But I promise you, if you're willing to go through the suffering, 
If you're willing to go through the difficult moments, God's got something that is so much bigger and so much better and so much greater than you can even think or imagine in your mind. So I want to encourage you here today, church, don't give up on that dream. Don't give up on that passion that God has put within your heart. Don't give up on that vision that he's put within you. I know some of you might say, but Pastor TJ, God did give me a vision. And it got really, really hard. And when it got hard, I gave up or, you know, I tapped out in that moment. And I missed it. What do I do? What do I do now? That's why I love the second half of verse 11. It says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God is full. God's not lacking in anything here today for your life which tells me that it's never too late. There's nothing you could have done. There's nothing you could have said. There's nothing you could have experienced that could disqualify you from what is possible. And I just want to tell you today, and it's never too late to be who you might have been. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to know that life isn't over. That there still is hope and there still is opportunity. That the promise is still there in your life. If you're willing to do the right things in the right season. Enduring the suffering so that you can reap the harvest in due season.